never listen when I talk Maybe you'll listen when I walk So I made my mama made a sandwich And I, I didn't tell it to you I gave you one last minute of my time In this mess I left behind Oh, moving along on a Thursday, y'all show Reach out to us on the homepage of the South When you get a chance, y'all.com I am John Rawl It is wonderful to have you as we go through everything Southern We've got some fun Southern stuff coming up in a few minutes as part of our hashtag hullabaloo. We also have in the next segment, you'll hear from Nick Saban, head coach of those Alabama Crips and Tide football players. Also, Kirby Smart, the head coach at Georgia as part of our SEC report that's headed your way in just a few. But sports is on our mind as we begin this segment here of Talk with a Southern Accent is we've got some news coming out of the NFL. They they always seem to just make changes for some crazy reason, and that's what they're planning on doing here as they get ready to get the 2021 official. I guess if we're into April, I guess we've officially turned the page, and we now have an official new year of the National Football League as they do that every year. That's one reason the trades and the deadlines for those kind of things kind of happen around this time of year. But yet now we know that there's going to be some changes with the replay system as owners on the this week, earlier in the week, announced that there's going to be a change in other rules for the forthcoming 2021 season. Just when you thought you finally had it as a an armchair quarterback sitting in your lazy boy, you had all these rules down here we go again, more changes as a new series of rules approved on Wednesday include one that will expand the influence of replay officials amid ongoing demands that coaches have for more oversight of game day officials. Now, owners rejected more proposals proposed for a full-time sky judge, including one from the Baltimore Ravens that would have created a booth umpire. Instead, what the owners did is they took the more modest step of giving the existing replay officials, those who sit in the press box of each stadium, they gave them the authority to consult with referees on certain, quote, specific objective aspects of a play when clear and obvious video evidence is present, according to the language of the rule. Now, replay officials will not be able to throw flags or reverse calls on their own, but they can now offer referees advice based on what they've seen on broadcast replays in the areas of possession, completed or intercepted passes, the location of the ball relative to the boundary or in line, and whether a player is actually down by contact. Those are some of the new replay changes going on with the NFL. Now, they also approved a relaxation of rules for the numbers that players of certain positions can wear because of expanded practice squads, So running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and defensive backs, as well as linebackers, can now wear numbers in the single digits if they so choose. Based on pre-existing NFL rules, players who want to change their numbers this season will have to buy out the inventory of the NFL's manufacturing partners. That gets a little confusing. This wouldn't apply to players who give notice in 2021 that they want to change numbers in 2022. So you're going to start seeing tight ends and more having single-digit numbers and I don't know if the NFL has this rule. I know the college game just changed it last year, but you can now have the number zero if you're a college football player. The NFL also approved a one-year experiment in an attempt to make it easier to recover onside kicks. Last year, it was pretty darn tough. 
This year, the team receiving on kickoffs will be limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball, as the NFL last year recovered only three of 67 onside kicks. The Eagles of Philadelphia, that is, proposed that teams be given an option to gain 15 yards on one offensive play from their own 25-yard line to retain possession after a score. That was one thing that was proposed. Also, the NFL eliminated they eliminated overtime in preseason games. There will be three preseason games for every team, and they won't have overtime. I guess we'll have a tie. Also, they changed the rule that will now force a loss of down if two passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage. Approved a rule change that ensures the enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts, defined as an opportunity for a team to score one or two additional points during a one scrimmage down. And a few other things they threw out there as well, but some changes, changes going on in the NFL. Let's keep it in football and the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the HBCU Conference that has teams like Let's say uh, Jackson State. Yeah, those Tigers and Deion Sanders. They've got Southern and Grambling, and they've got Alabama A&M and Alabama State and other teams across several states in the South. Well, the SWAC's moving its football championship game here in the spring as we've had FCS football, and the league announced that the game that will be played May 1st between Alabama A&M the Bulldogs there, and UAPB, the Golden Lions, I believe is their name. That game is going to be played on a neutral site as it will be played in Jackson, Mississippi's Veterans Memorial Stadium. It was initially scheduled to be played on the campus of the highest-ranked team, but Commissioner Charles McClellan of the SWAC said the league made the move because of COVID-19 cancellations that had directly affected both the Alabama A&M Bulldogs and UAPB, the canceled games would have helped the SWAC determine a host school using its tiebreaker policy. And they've had a lot of COVID problems. I know Jackson State's final game with Coach Deion Sanders, Coach Prime Time, ended up being canceled because of the coronavirus. And the SWAC is not allowing its so-called champion to go on to the FCS playoffs. A 16-team playoff begins this weekend and the SWAC is doing it its own way. They will not be sending a representative to the playoffs because they haven't crowned a champion. The SWAC, with, I think they've got 10 members, and they're going to grow that to more teams. But they've been doing a, a, a similar thing to the SEC where they've had two divisions. And now you've got out of the eastern side of the division, Alabama A&M out of normal Alabama, and the UAPB Golden Lions, I think, out of uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, meeting in Jackson, Mississippi at Veterans Memorial Stadium in Jackson, just right beside the medical center of the University of Mississippi. And that will be played, that championship game for the SWAC, on May 1st, which will be in just a couple of days. But championship football here in the South in, well, technically this game's going to be May 1st, but almost April, just a day away from April. Hey, let's talk a little Georgia Bulldog great here for us on the Y'all Show, and we're going to talk about those dogs when we hear from Kirby Smart in just a few minutes. But Heinz Ward, Pittsburgh Steelers great, star of that Super Bowl they had against the Arizona Cardinals played at Ford Field in Detroit. Heinz Ward, a four-time Pro Bowl selection and a two-time Super Bowl champion with the Steelers, has now become an assistant football coach 
as the former UGA wide receiver is set to join Florida Atlantic's coaching staff. And he entered coaching with the New York Jets back in 2019 and was there in 2020. But now he's going to go to the college ranks as FSU does not have any full-time assistant jobs available. But the Owl's Nest, a publication that covers FAU, said that Ward is expected to work alongside the new FAU wide receivers coach Joey Thomas and will have some kind of role there. Heinz Ward, by the way, is 45 years old. He had 1,000 receptions for 12,083 yards and scored 85 touchdowns when he played 217 games for the Steel Curtain between 1998 and 2011. And after retiring from the Steelers, Ward worked as an NFL analyst with NBC. He's also been on CNN and HLN, but now he's a coach. Heinz Ward wishing him all the best in his new role with the FAU Owls. Speaking of greats of sports and college sports, how about Danny Manning? Remember, he had been Wake Forest's head coach for a little while. The former Wake head basketball coach is now expected to join Mark Turgeon's staff at Maryland as an assistant coach. Manning and Turgeon actually played together at Kansas in the 1980s, and they went to the Final Four in 1986. And Manning head coach at Wake for six seasons before letting being let go following a 13-18 and 18 season, and he reached one NCAA tournament as the coach of the Demon Deacons and now going to be an assistant with the former ACC member, Maryland. He's going to replace DeAndre Haynes in College Park, as Haynes left earlier this month to join Shaka Smart's new staff at Marquette. Coach Danny Manning, now an assistant for the Maryland Terrapins. And we'll just stop our headlines there. I've got another story that I could tell you about, but I'll save that one because it actually relates to the Southeastern Conference. And I'll tell you what that story is, and we'll hear from Nick Saban, head coach of the Alabama Cripside Tide, as well as we'll hear from... Kirby Smart, head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. And we'll have that coming up right after this as the Y'all Show's SEC Spotlight is headed your way. Don't miss out on the fun. And that will have plenty of good information coming your way after this. teach them bulldogs how to behave this is the y'all show and how about you crimson tide we got dick saban coming at you in just a few minutes as we have a recap of alabama's a-day game from this past weekend also georgia head football coach kirby smart gonna hear some audio from the k-man in just a minute but let's pick up here on some basketball talk carrying over from our previous segment as this is our sec spotlight here on this thursday y'all show and the Florida Gators basketball player Keontae Johnson waiting for medical clearance and is now deciding that he will not enter, I repeat, will not enter the NBA draft. You might remember 
Keontae Johnson as he had an awful collapse in a game that Michael White's team was having in December. I think it was a game at Florida State, and Johnson just went down like instantly on the floor, extremely scary. Honestly, it looked like he had died on the court. It was so darn scary. But he said on Wednesday that he will not enter the 2021 NBA draft and is waiting for a medical clearance to return to Michael White's Florida Gator basketball team next season. He says that he's progressing and steadily making progress daily in his health, and he's patiently waiting on medical clearance. So Florida Gator forward Keontae Johnson saying, hold on, NBA, I got another season, it looks like, of playing college basketball in the SEC. He wrapped up his announcement that he was going to stick around Gainesville by saying, I plan to keep working to prepare for the upcoming season. My story continues to be written and driven by God. And, of course, you know he's going to put at the end of that, Go Gators. Yeah, he fell back in December in a game at FSU and at that time was listed in critical but stable condition, had to be airlifted to a hospital in Gainesville days later with his mother by his side. He ended up being a guy that luckily recovered and started to communicate with his family and friends in the days after that collapse. And here we go. He's got a chance to come back after waiting for medical clearance and play another season for the Florida Gators. Now a College of Charleston Cougar has decided to become an Auburn Tiger as former COC guard Zepp Jasper has decided to transfer to Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers. Coach Pearl said Wednesday that Jasper had signed an athletics financial aid agreement and will have two years of eligibility remaining The College of Charleston plays in the Colonial Athletic Conference, and he was actually the player, a second team player in the CAA last year was Jasper. He's six foot one and 170 pounds. He spent three seasons at the College of Charleston and averaged 15.6 points per game last season, shot 35% from three-point range, and also had nearly four rebounds a game in his time in the Holy City, but now taking his talents away from the holy city and heading to the unholy town known as Auburn. And I'm just kidding, War Eagle fans. That's a great town. I love Auburn, but yeah, they've got some wild times there on the plains. And that's one of the reasons Auburn, Alabama, and the rest of the SEC make for great college experiences for those who are age 18 to 21 and are looking for a good time. The SEC certainly offers that option. Continuing on with our look at things SEC, let's move over to talk a little college football, if you don't mind. And Alabama had its spring game this past weekend at the Capstone and Nick Saban. I love this game each year whenever the A-Day game is held. It's usually broadcast on national television or at least the SEC network. And that is the one time you see any college football coach in today's world wear a coat and tie and I don't know why Nick Saban chooses to do this. It's been a tradition he's done every year since he's been at Alabama, starting in 2007. And and I guess the spring game is a great opportunity to showcase just how far the Alabama football teams come. Again, your defending national champion Alabama football team. But Saban was wearing a pink sport coat and a pink tie out there at A-Day game this past weekend inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. And after the spring game, of course, Coach Saban was asked about his potential starting quarterback and more. 
Let's go into the bowels of Bryant-Denny and let's listen to Alabama's head football coach talk about how his team fared in the 2021 A-Day game. Take it away, Nick Saban. Uh, In the locker room after the A-Day game that you say to everybody, look, it's time for us to come together and become a team. No offense, no defense, no uh, crimson, no white. Um, And everybody's got to create winning habits. Um, You know, you don't want to introduce any habits uh, in in your life that aren't going to be productive for you. Uh, Your behavior is a habit. And we want our guys to have winning habits. This is the time of the year. You know, there's hard times in football, fall camp, off-season program, spring practice. All right, then there's times where you got to finish school. All right, you're going to work out in a little lighter uh, pace over May. Uh, get some time to recover, rehab, uh, get some guys healthy. And then when we come back and start summer school, then, you know, we're sort of grinding Again, so uh, and I think the individuals on the team make a decision of what their habits are going to be. They're going to have winning habits or losing habits. Buy into what you need to do to be a team. Uh, play like we want to need you to play with effort, toughness, discipline to do your job. And um, so I, I think that's the time. Uh, the game today, obviously, we had significant number of starters, significant number of players. Uh, who are out today for medical reasons. And um, so I don't think you can get a total assessment on uh, those guys who didn't play. Uh, But it was a great opportunity for some of the guys who got to play a lot more today than if they if everybody would have been able to play, you know, in the game. So um, but for the most part, we didn't have any issues all spring long. So we made a lot of progress and. You know, I'm I'm not satisfied with where we are. We have a lot of work to do as a team, uh, but certainly looking forward to um, taking every opportunity that we have to improve our team and continue to improve our players. So, um, you know, it was a it was a fun game, um, and we made a lot of mistakes, dropped balls, turnovers, uh, had a couple explosive plays called back because of. Uh, pre-snap penalties, illegal formation, covering up repeat people. I mean, these are all things that can get fixed, uh, but there was a lot of good things out there as well. Hey, Coach. Uh, all spring you've kind of mentioned how uh, Bryce has been able to manage the offense. Just what do you think of the way he was able to do that today? I, I think he did a good job today. I, I think that um, – Probably in a game like today, there's a lot more drop-back passes just by the way you sort of plan the game. You uh, have a minimal number of plays that you're going to run in the game. So um, probably some of the issues that we have in the offensive line with guys missing, uh, the cla- the pocket collapses on them, and uh, he was in some tough situations relative to that. But um, I, I think he's done a really good job all spring. Uh, we continue to work on uh, you know him kind of – having a presence out there that affects other people in a positive way. Uh, and I think he's starting to get more and more respect from the other players by the way he plays. But every scrimmage we had, he he performed very, very well. And I thought he performed well today. I think, you know, sometimes when quarterback – quarterback's a hard position to play when the people around you don't play well. So, you know, he had some opportunities that he couldn't take advantage of because of the pressure he got in the pocket. Alabama head football coach Nick Saban there following the A-Day game this past weekend 
in Tuscaloosa, and the quarterback he's talking about there is the California kid Bryce Young, who came to Alabama from Los Angeles, where he was obviously a star quarterback out there, the Gatorade Football Player of the Year in California, coming out of high school. We saw Bryce Young play just a little bit in the 2020 season. He made his debut at Alabama in that Missouri game at Faroe Field, and there in that game against the Tigers, he went 5 of 8 for 54 yards passing and 2 rushing yards on 4 attempt. But we didn't see a whole lot of him in the 2020 season there as a backup for Mac Jones. But yes, coming into the 2021 season, it appears that Bryce Young is the heir apparent as the Alabama Crimson Tides quarterback. And that's why he's getting the questions there following the A-Day game at Bryant-Denny Stadium, Nick Saban. Now, we're going to move over and hear from another SEC football coach. It's really Alabama's uh, nemesis, you could say, because of the fact that they appear to be the team that's going to be, uh, well, I guess you could say last year was a little different with Florida making it to Atlanta. But as of the last couple of years, it's been Alabama from the West and Georgia from the East that are the most likely teams to appear in Atlanta for the championship game. And so last year, we did not see the Georgia Bulldogs in Atlanta for that as Florida beat them in the cocktail party. But Georgia fans are certainly looking to get back there this year. And one reason I say that Georgia and Alabama have a pretty good little rivalry going here of late is because, first of all, they've actually played each other, unlike a lot of lot of decades where you hardly saw the Bama boys and those Georgia silver britches getting together on the gridiron. And then the other real connection that makes this sort of a rivalry is that you've got a Nick Saban alumnus in Kirby Smart doing great things for Georgia and leading them to the promised land in some ways. They did not win that national championship when they were given that opportunity because they lost to the Alabama Crimson Tide. But the the Dogs had their G-Day game this past weekend at Sanford Stadium. And Kirby Smart, who is now, gosh, I guess he's entering about his seventh year leading Georgia he had some words to say to the media after that. Let's go in and hear from the visored one here on the Y'all Show, Coach Kirby Smart of the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I opened with uh, I was very um, pleased and happy to have, number one, great great weather, um, but a great fan support, and I thought our students really turned out well down there in the West End Zone. It was good to see that atmosphere back. Uh, over in the, the what I call the old student section, it was great to have uh, everybody there and supporting the players. So the atmosphere was good. Uh, no major injuries, which is great. I was able to get out there, scrimmage, uh, do some things, and really uh, uh, proud of our guys for the kind of spring we've had. We've had a uh, tough physical spring and 15 practices complete. Uh, got a long way to go to get where we need to go. Um, and got to find some some depth in some positions and got to get better at some other positions. But I thought our guys really competed hard today, um, was really just enjoyed watching it and seeing the kind of operation of the quarterbacks uh, from the back end where I get to sit and hear them call the huddle and and call the plays. So that I'll open it up. Yeah, Kirby, uh, it was interesting early on, obviously. You know, it's a chance to see the, the ones versus ones per, per se. And, uh, you know, it's have fun hearing you say things like vertical passing game, we want to be vertical. Uh, it was hard to do that early on, but can you just talk about that that matchup and kind of what you saw from from your your defense as well? Um, 
Well, I didn't see it that way. Um, I saw it where I thought our guys uh, came out a little bit slow, but vertical passing games a lot of time based on your ability to run the ball, and that wasn't our goal this game to come out and establish the run and really run the ball hard. Uh, G-Days are built around um, a lot of two-minute drives. Uh, you want to go hurry up. We want to throw and catch the ball. Uh, that reduces the risk of injury. So when you're doing that, there's a lot of intermediate passing game, kind of like we did in seven-on-seven seven before it. Uh, defense was also playing some quarter-quarter halves, which uh, you know doesn't allow you to take the top off a lot of times. But I did think that we threw and caught the ball well, and um, you know we didn't have all our arsenal out there in terms of uh, wideouts. Uh, but the ones that were out there, I thought they competed really well. And, you know, some of the DBs got to make plays and then some of them we, we didn't make plays. But that's always going to be the case in a spring game. I was I was pleased with the uh, effort and attitude of the guys with it, though. Georgia head football coach Kirby Smart in the moments after his team had its G-Day sp- uh, spring scrimmage finale, you could say, there between the hedges and Georgia, just like Alabama, having to reload in the quarterback position. And you can go back and look at the film from that G-Day game and weigh in on where Kirby Smart's going to be going in that position. Well, they're not the only teams having to answer questions about the QB position entering 2021. Coach O, Ed Orgeron, has now given a timeline on his Bayou Bengals as they concluded this past weekend with a practice and it, they had their spring game there at Baton Rouge also. And the Tigers, according to Orgeron, had a great spring. But there's a lot of optimism that LSU is going to get back on track this year, unlike last year where they were a 500 ball club. But one of the key things that LSU's got to answer entering the 2021 season is that quarterback position. As Orgeron has to name a starting quarterback for the LSU football team sooner than later, as the Tigers into spring without a clear starting quarterback. Coach O said this past weekend that he thought what you saw out there is what we've seen in spring football. We come off the field when one day Garrett can be the best quarterback, then the next day is TJ, then the next day was Miles, and then the next day was Mac. So he's not being very helpful when he's trying to determine where the LSU Tigers are going to go with their starting quarterback for the 2021 season. But, yes, no clear starter for the Bayou Bengals, according to Ed Orgeron. But, as he says, the timeline for that, they got plenty of time. They can make that decision entering the summer camp there along the banks of the Mississippi River. But a decision is going to have to be made before fall camp, it appears, for LSU football. Now to SEC baseball, taking a quick look at the leaders of the SEC baseball in terms of standings. The Tennessee Volunteers are doing quite well, but they're just a little behind the Tennessee Vols, behind the Vanderbilt Commodores. Those two teams from the Volunteer State had a great matchup this past weekend on Rocky Top, and Vanderbilt emerged victorious in that series, taking two of three. Vanderbilt's got an 11 and 4 conference record. Tennessee and South Carolina both have 10 and 5 marks in SEC baseball. The Gators of Florida are at 9 and 6. The Georgia Bulldogs, which had a nice midweek win over the Clemson Tigers this week. The Georgia Bulldogs and the Kentucky Wildcats, the Batcats, I have a 7 and 8 conference mark in Missouri is at the bottom at 4 and 11. When you move over to the SEC West standings, The Arkansas Razorbacks also have the same record as the Vanderbilt Commodores. As the Razorbacks, the Hogs, have an 11-4 conference record. Chris Lamontis' Mississippi State Bulldogs fresh off a series win over their in-state rival Mississippi. 
The dogs have a 10 and 5 SEC mark. The Mississippi Land Sharks are at 9 and 6 in SEC West play. Alabama is at 7 and 8. Surprisingly, the LSU Bayou Bengals are 4 and 11. That's also the same mark of Texas A&M and the Auburn Tigers have the worst SEC record right now at 2 and 13. I don't know what's going on on the plains in terms of SEC baseball. As far as the series for this coming weekend in SEC play, Florida and Auburn get together. Those games are on the SEC network. LSU will be in Oxford to take on Mississippi. Alabama and Kentucky in the Bear Bryant Bowl of Baseball. Arkansas is going to be in Columbia to take on the Gamecocks. Georgia and Missouri get together. Tennessee and Texas A&M have a battle in College Station. And then a top four matchup at Dudley Field there in Nashville as Mississippi State ranked number four and Vanderbilt ranked number two have a series. Some of those games will be broadcast on ESPNU. And that's a quick look at some SEC news and notes for you here on the Y'all Show. Hang on, we got more Y'all coming right up with a quick look at some social media fun as we conclude our first hour. We're wrapping up our first hour of this y'all show, and we go to our Twitter feed and our text feed that we have at 803-816-1170. This is where we have what we call social media fun, and the name of the game is hashtag hullabaloo. And here at the y'all show, Peggy Mercer, BMI, an author, a songwriter, and BMI is, of course, the songwriting licensing organization. Peggy Mercer is part of that, and she writes on social media this week, and take note, this might end up being a hit song one day. Peggy Mercer writes, at Peggy Mercer, by the way, is her Twitter handle, a northerner begins a fairy tale like this, once upon a time, but a southerner begins a fairy tale like this. Y'all ain't going to believe this. <laughs> Peggy, you are on to something there. Oh, yeah, that would be a hit song for sure. You need to put that one down on paper. Well, that will conclude this first hour of the Y'all Show. Hang on. We've got a whole nother hour locked and coming at you. We've got headlines from across the southeast. We also have a lot of fun from the entertainment world, including country music fun direct from Nashville, Tennessee. That's headed your way as the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent continues right after this. And back we are for hour two of this Thursday, y'all. Hope y'all are doing good. We are talking about everything in the South with your host, John Rawl. Man, we've got so much good stuff coming your way this hour. You just... You just ain't going to believe it. But go ahead and get your pen and paper and write all this stuff down because it is believable. And you also can believe that coming up in hour three today, we're going to have some more fun on this program all about the South with our friend Art Cruz. He's going to be on to talk about lots of good stuff, including the Saints. We mentioned the Falcons on the Wednesday Y'all Show. Well, we're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints and where they're going to go with the forthcoming NFL draft, which starts one week from today. And we'll get Art's take on 
what the Saints will do in the post-Drew Brees era there in the Crescent City. Also, Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves and his contract as the slugger from uh, – he's got a Canadian connection. I don't think he was – maybe he was born there, but he spent, I think, most of his adult life maybe in California. I, I know he spent a lot of his adult life in Atlanta, Georgia, technically now, Cobb County. But Freddie Freeman will talk some baseball. And we'll also get Art's take on what LeBron James did, kind of a dumb tweet, frankly. I know it was dumb because he went and deleted it. You're next, LeBron James. We're going to talk about you. And then also, Art's going to talk a little UNC basketball. Why did Roy Williams decide to retire at this point in time? And then some college baseball info coming from Art Cruz at the start of Hour 3. That's in one hour, so y'all got to stick around for the fun there, but we start this hour of talking about the South with a look at news headlines from across Dixie. And of course, the national story, the big story everywhere continues to be the, the fallout of the Derek Chauvin guilty on all three counts that happened this week in Minneapolis. And then immediately we saw even, I think 20 minutes before that decision of the jury was announced, a teenager was killed in Columbus, Ohio. And then we find out also a person of color was killed by a sheriff's deputy in North Carolina this week. And that's getting a, a lot of attention right now as we are continuing to see this police versus minority populations become a, a trending story that is continuing to trend quite honestly. So that those are sort of the big stories from a thousand foot looking down to Florida we go. And the attorney general of that state is demanding that president Biden make the Supreme court commission meetings public as she says that we must be allowed to observe and challenge any and all undemocratic un-American policy recommendations that coming from Ashley Moody, the attorney general of the state of Florida. Now this comes after the idea of packing the courts seems to be getting more and more traction. And now Ashley Moody of the Sunshine State is calling for the president to allow public access to the meetings of a commission that he formed to explore a potential expansion of the Supreme Court. She sent this letter to the White House demanding access and what she described as alarming initial steps by the Biden administration, or as they say on their own website, the Biden-Harris administration, and also these alarming steps by both the Biden-Harris gang and the Democratic lawmakers up on Capitol Hill. The Attorney General joined other prominent Republicans in decrying any effort to pack the Supreme Court with additional justices. As Moody, in a video message, said that we must be allowed to observe and challenge any and all undemocratic, un-American policy recommendations that threaten our democracy if the president ignores this request and chooses to keep any of these proceedings secret, I'll utilize the full power entrusted to me by the voters of Florida to preserve the integrity of America's judicial system. That coming from Ashley Moody of the state of Florida. Of course, she followed Pam Bondi, who was the longtime attorney general of the Sunshine State, who went on to be a lawyer representing Donald Trump in the first impeachment trial that he had in early 2020. Seems like a million years ago now, doesn't it? The Coast Guard in Miami has offloaded nearly $100 million of cocaine. 
where is Don Johnson and Miami Vice when you need them? Coast Guard offloaded this huge haul on Tuesday, and this was the result of a bust earlier in this month off the coast of Columbia in an effort to disrupt the flow of drugs into the U.S. A maritime patrol near the country of Columbia spotted a vessel on April 9th and discovered 87 bales. That was 5,500 pounds of the white stuff, and they detained three spuck three suspects and the boat was destroyed. But then the cutter Tampa of the U.S. Coast Guard, which we don't give the Coasties a lot of attention. They sometimes are kind of the the other service. But boy, the Coast Guard each and every day is putting its neck on the line to save lives and to do law enforcement in this case, uh, get all this cocaine, again, worth nearly $100 million after the cutter crew Interdicted of, uh, they were interdicted of a low-profile vessel off the coast of Colombia and ended up getting this big haul. And I guess they end up keeping some of it for evidence. I, I assume cocaine seized by the Coast Guard ends up being destroyed. But again, where's Don Johnson and Miami Vice when you need them? And I'm having a little bit of a senior moment here. I don't remember his character name in that movie. Let me let me cheat here and go to the wikipedias of the world and tell you what uh don and his partner there and i'm sure if you if you grew up in the 1980s or watching tv with this crime thriller on nbc great just a great looking show and the way it was shot and the movies and all the fun stuff there but yeah don johnson starred in that and let's see here uh, actually, did you realize that Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges were considered for the role of Sonny Crockett? There we go. Uh, I knew it was something like that, uh, but uh, ended up not getting uh, those roles. It went to Don Johnson, who is a native of Kentucky. Don Johnson. Yeah, Don Johnson, who's continued to be on television shows. and more. I'm sorry, Don Johnson, born in Missouri. I thought there was a connect Kentucky connection. I could be wrong on this. Uh, Don Donnie Donnie Wayne Johnson, born in 1949 in Flat Creek, Missouri, to a beautician and a farmer. He sounded like he's a good old boy. Don Johnson, yes, and I think he's got a daughter that's also rising in the acting world for sure. And of course, who was Don Johnson's partner? Who was? Sonny Crockett's partner in Miami Vice, it would be Rico. Rico Tubbs, played by actor Philip Michael Thomas. Philip Michael Thomas, a native of Ohio and grew up, born in Ohio, grew up in San Bernardino, California, was Rico. And what has he done lately? I mean, have you seen him on, on anything? Let's see, he was on Nash Bridges for a couple of episodes. The last thing I see him as a part of was a video game. And uh, Rico, where you been lately, Rico? Philip Michael Thomas, PMT. Of course, if you follow TV in Miami and the city and law enforcement's role on TV, we went from Miami Vice of the 1980s to CSI Miami, which was a huge hit in the 2000s decade with some Southern connections there with the actors chosen to be on that all right let's move on in our headlines across southeast by the way let me give you a little heads up stay tuned because in just a minute i'm going to talk about gopher tortoises and maybe even more important than gopher tortoise talk we're going to talk about 
strawberry glazed donuts in the news. Yeah, you don't want to miss out on that conversation, and it's coming up. Now, how about this conversation to talk about here on y'all? Biting worms invading the South Carolina coast. And people are now saying, hey, you, you might not want to come out here and jump in this April water along Hilton Head and Charleston and, and other places of South Carolina. A mere year after beaches started reopening after the coronavirus lockdown, now it looks like it's kind of like out of the Bible. A plague of biting creatures called clam worms are on the South Carolina coastline, and an advisory is going out to beachgoers. According to the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, they put out on Facebook, you may not want to go swimming as clam worms do have a set of hooked jaws. These animals that ordinarily live on the seafloor undergo an incredible transformation under new and full moons in spring. Their bodies morph into reproductive forms called epitokes as they swarm in coastal waters. And a video put out by the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources depicts the orange critters, which kind of have a feather cross centipede look, swarming on the surface of the water, and they're all over spawning on South Carolina's coastal waters right now. And I'm sure if they're there, they're likely along the North Carolina and Georgia coast as well. But look out when you want to hit that water in South Carolina right now, these Maritime invertebrates out right now, and you don't want to go out there if you've got the ability to cry if something bites you in the ocean waters because, huh, just like just something else we didn't need. We're already worried about sharks and now clam worms popping up on that Carolina coast. Oh boy, oh boy. All right, another story. This comes to us from Mississippi, and it's another animal related story. This one, though, unlike South Carolina, is man-involved. Yes, human beings have something to do with this particular story coming out of central Mississippi. Close to 40 what's called gopher tortoises have been released in the Magnolia State after spending the first two years of their lives in captivity. According to the Nature Conservancy, caretakers went and released them and they are a threatened species, the gopher tortoises. They get their name because they burrow, and they have dens that become home to hundreds of other species that live in dwindling longleaf pine forests, some all over Mississippi. Now, these are native to South Carolina and Florida, but they stretch all the way west into Louisiana, and we saw this close to 40 gopher tortoises released into the wild in Mississippi over the past weekend. Let me tell you a little bit more about the gopher tortoise. It's in a species of turtle family known as the Testinuendae. And uh, sorry if I butchered that. The species is native to the south, and it is known as a keystone species because it digs burrows that provide shelter for at least 360 other animal species. So the gopher tortoise is kind of like a good southerner. It helps out other animals. (laughs) How about that? And it is the official, did you know this? The gopher tortoise is the official state reptile of Georgia. And it's also the state tortoise of Florida. We love our gopher tortoises here in the southeast. And I had never heard of them until this story came out. How about that? What do they eat? 
Their diet contains over 300 species of plants, and as they consume a very wide range of plants, mostly broad-leaved grass, regular grass, wiregrass, and other things like mushrooms. So that's what they do, and then they burrow, and that's how they get this kind of attitude or what people think. And actually, in Mississippi, which is why we started talking about this today, along Mississippi Highway 63, chain-link fences were built to prevent gopher tortoise mortality from traffic. As These fences, which were made from heavy-gauge wire for durability, are at least three feet high and buried one foot below the surfaces. And these fences have turnarounds at either end, which are angled fences that redirect the tortoises back into the area from which they came as of a few years ago, roadside gopher tortoise deaths had been reported along this highway since the construction of the fence. Or no, no, I should say, because of these fences, there were no roadside deaths. You don't want to have gopher tortoise deaths if you can avoid it. And so, man, Mississippi's really looking out for these gopher tortoises. But sorry, Mississippi, it looks like Georgia and Florida already have you beat when it comes to promoting the gopher tortoise They got that as a state turtle and a state reptile. I think one of those states I just told you about. How about that? Now, talk about a dumb couple, a dumb newlywed couple. Courtney Wilson and Shanita Jones had a wedding this past weekend. Okay? The reason they're in the news is because they decided to have friends and family over for their wedding at a dream home in a state The problem was the couple did not own the 16,300-foot mansion that they held their wedding in at Southwest Ranches, Florida, and this is just outside of Fort Lauderdale. This mansion, by the way, has a bowling alley, swimming pool, a waterfall. It even has a tennis court and gazebo and an 800-foot bar, and one of the People getting married, Courtney Wilson said it was God's plan that the couple marry there. But as I just told you, they didn't even have permission to be there. They were trespassing. And the owner, Nathan Finkel, never gave permission to hold the festivities there and was stunned when Wilson showed up Saturday to set up and he called police, called up for, showed up for her wedding at his place, but he didn't know she was coming because, well, he called 911 said, I got people trespassing on my property, and they keep harassing me, calling me. Oh, what was the guy supposed to do? Well, it turns out he ends up having a uh, an amicable resolution. They didn't get married there, but Finkel, whose father was an early IHOP restaurant franchisee, mm, love me some IHOP, he's been trying to sell the property for a couple of years, and it's listed, if you want to buy it, for $5 million, but ended up not pressing charges. I don't know where the... Folks are going to get married. The Broward County records show a marriage license has been issued to this couple, but they had not registered as married as of today. So maybe Courtney Wilson and Shanita Jones, maybe their wedding is not going to happen because they planned their perfect place to get married was not so perfect because it wasn't theirs. Hint, hint. Anytime, next time you get married, at least make sure you don't get calls for a trespass charge. Good news out of East Tennessee, a major TV and movie production studio is coming to Knoxville as Knoxville-based RIVR Media has teamed up with HGTV co-founder Bob Baskerville 
and the owner of the Cleveland Browns and an East Tennessee resident, D. Haslam, to open up RIVR Studios, and that's going to open up this summer. According to a report from Deadline.com, this 20,000-square-foot studio will include more than 6,000 square feet geared for TV and film production, and it also includes a 1,500-square-foot studio designed for digital production in addition to full-service post-production facilities. And if you don't know this, for decades now, HGTV and their sister companies have been based out of Knoxville. And so Knoxville, you may not think of it as a hotbed of filming and television. It indeed is. And so good news there for those in that portion of Tennessee. And a joint statement, Haslam and another person named Laurie Stryer commented that Knoxville has long been a hidden gem in the Southeast as a TV and film hotbed. Seeing its continuing growth over the last year, we identified an exciting opportunity to launch a full-service studio space equipped for all forms of production. And having Bob as president will bring to RIVR Studios unmatched experience in brand building, digital technology, and business leadership. Again, a major TV and movie production studio being built in Knoxville, Tennessee, and coming to a TV and film screen soon. All right, also a story out of Tennessee in Murfreesboro. A thief has now returned the thing that they stole to the scene of the crime. This happened at Demas's restaurant in Murfreesboro as a man was seen on surveillance video stealing money out of the tip jar. And what did this guy do or gal? I'm not sure who it was. As the video, it was a man. Video shows that this man at the front counter stealing from the tip jar. He places his to-go bag in front of the bucket to block the cashier's view and then takes the cash. And a police report states that the tip jar had $160 in it. But two days later, the business owner wrote an update on Facebook saying that the guy who stole this apologized and gave the money back. So what would you do? Would you have compassion for someone who brought back stolen money out of a tip jar, I don't know if they're going to press charges or not, but maybe the good folks there in Rutherford County where Murfreesboro is located will have a, a little bit of leniency to this thief that ended up having a a, a heavy heart and decided to, to do the right thing. And lastly, as we look around the headlines of the Southeast here, this is big news, y'all, as Krispy Kreme is deciding to bring back a fan favorite, strawberry glazed and filled donuts. The North Carolina-based donut chain will bring back these popular favorites for a limited time. The strawberry glazed and strawberry glazed filled donuts have been a very popular request since they were introduced in 2020 as the Krispy Kreme Chief Marketing Officer Dave Skeena wrote, last year fans couldn't get enough of strawberry glaze and have been asking for it to come back ever since. So we're bringing it back. Hurry in and enjoy. Both varieties feature a strawberry glazed donut. One has a strawberry cream, and that's with a K, K K-R-E-M-E, the strawberry cream filling donut. If you like strawberries, you like donuts, this looks like incredible, incredible eating, courtesy of North Carolina's own Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, just what you need when you start that diet for the April time period. Ooh, 
Yikes. All right, that uh, that's probably about 2,000 calories that we're looking at there if you see the photo of the strawberry Krispy Kreme donut. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we've got more fun. We've got entertainment headlines from across the South. Also, later this hour, a report from Nashville's Music Row. What's going on in country music? We'll tell you right here on the show that's all about the South. Stay tuned. show talking about the southeast john rawl 803-816-1170 is how you can reach out to us 24 7 with a question or comment and actually we just got this into the inbox that i'll pass along here courtesy of our text line 803-816-1170 and this actually is a text related to our show from wednesday where we were talking about cicadas popping up around the land are getting ready to depending on where you're located and this person writes to tell us that that indeed cicadas are not just a a thing that's about to pop up in virginia and maybe north carolina and east tennessee kentucky but also that these cicadas according to this person that texted in is something that we've seen in the state of south carolina i was just telling you about a Thing that bites you when you're out there in the ocean of South Carolina. And now, according to this listener, just listening in and wanted to let you know that we do have cicadas in South Carolina. So congratulations, South Carolina. One more reason to maybe have some uh, fear when you head into the Palmetto State, both with the sounds of cicadas and, and the ocean. And, and remember, South Carolina and the Georgia coast both get a little bit of an outbreak of sharks when you're in that area this time of year. So be extra careful. We love our South Carolina region, but unfortunately, it could be a little bit uh, uncomfortable this time of year. Now to the world of entertainment here on the Y'all Show. And this lady here is an actress. She is a singer. And sadly, she's about to get divorced from her hubby, Mike Kossian. We're talking about Jenna Kramer. Jenna Kramer who was on the TV series One Tree Hill. She played the role of Alex Dupree, and then she started a music career back in 2012 with a great song out, Why You Wanna. That was a number three song on the Hot Country Airplay chart and also had another top ten hit in I Got the Boy. And the 37-year-old Michigan native, who is just stunning with her sound and look and more Getting divorced, just announced getting divorced from former football player Mike Carlson. Carlson played in the NFL for a cup of coffee with the Jaguars, Bills, and in 2014 he was on the offseason roster of the Washington 
Redskins, but they began dating in 2014 and ended up being married in 2015. And they had a girl born in Nashville in 2016. And then in 2016, Kramer and Carlson had separated in the midst of the husband's cheating and admission into rehab for sex addiction. They reconciled the following year and renewed their wedding vows in December of 2017. In 2018, Jana Kramer revealed that they were expecting their second child, a boy, and that boy was born in 2018. But sadly, Mike and Jenna Kramer are divorcing after, what, six years of marriage? Something like that. So we wish her the best. Jana Kramer, by the way, big fan of some of the songs that she's had. And another reason I like her, even though she's what we call a, a darn Yankee, she speaks German, at least a little bit. I guess she has some German heritage in her lineage. So that is unfortunate news coming out of the entertainment headlines here on the Y'all Show. UsMagazine.com has a story out in case you just need to know who the celebrity pot smokers of the world are. This article caught my eye because, of course, you've got the people that you would naturally expect to see in an article of the celebrity pot smokers of America. Snoop Dogg. Say it ain't so. Snoop Dogg. Lights it up. Come on. I don't believe that. Yeah, bibba. All right. Also, Ellen DeGeneres, according to this article, said that, well, she said it this month on Jimmy Kimmel. She said, I never did like marijuana, but then she evidently tried it and must like it. As Chelsea Handler recommended that she try something called CANN social tonics, which includes two micrograms of THC and four micrograms of CBD. And Ellen DeGeneres said, the Louisiana native, by the way, says, I drank one and I didn't feel anything, so I drank three, and then I took two melatonin sleep pills, she told Jimmy Kimmel. She said she went to bed before she realized her wife was having a medical emergency. Her adrenaline kicked in and she drove her lady to the hospital. And there you have it. Ellen DeGeneres evidently is into the good stuff or I don't call it, got into that stuff, whatever it is. Did you realize Justin Timberlake was a celebrity pot smoker? As he told Playboy, the only thing pot does for me is get me to stop thinking. Sometimes I have a brain that needs to be turned off. Some people are just better high. Justin Timberlake, West Tennessee's own. Come on, using marijuana to take it easy, to have a brain get turned off because of it. If that happens, Lord knows what happens. How about the beautiful Cameron Diaz, the actress? She says, I'm pretty sure I bought weed from Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Really? I was green even in high school. So, yeah, it looks like she's been doing it a long time. How about Missouri's own and MU alum Brad Pitt? He says, I like to smoke a bit of grass at the time. I became very sheltered. Then I got bored. I was turning into a Darn, and he didn't say darn donut, really. So I moved as far away from that as I could. I was done. Maybe he's not into it as much anymore, but yeah. Yeah. And and would you believe this? Willie Nelson is a celebrity pot smoker. As he wrote, the biggest killer on the planet is stress, and I still think the best medicine is always 
going to be cannabis. In fact, I just saw something come out this week that Willie Nelson is pushing for April 20th, a.k.a. 420, to become a, a national holiday. Willie. <laughs> what would Willie do? Yeah, yeah. That uh, that's from Us Weekly. Check it out. USmagazine.com is the website if you need more. We told you about this in hour one, and I'll repeat it here. Comedian Eric Andre claims he was racially profiled the other day when he was going through the Atlanta airport. He thought that it was Atlanta police that were detaining him and asking him questions just before he got on a flight. The mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Bottom, says that no, it wasn't APD. So I don't really know. I guess it was uh, federal authorities or something that were questioning him as he wrote that they let him go, but I'm on the plane in the air. I'm fine now, but I want this reported as he tweeted out using the hashtag Jim Crow Georgia. Not exactly what's happened there at Terminal T3 at the Atlanta airport, but he says that he was the only person of color in the line to get on a plane, and then they came and started questioning him about, uh, he says, glad to hear Atlanta PD doesn't operate like, operate like this, but who was the agency that interrogated me And why does Atlanta allow an agency with those kinds of random search rules to operate in one of the busiest airports in the world? Don't know. Don't know what happened there with comedian Eric Andre as he was passing through the Atlanta airport. And there's an old saying that you can't go to heaven or hell without going through Atlanta Hartsville (laughs) Airport. And that's a quick look at some of the entertainment headlines here on the Y'all Show. But we still have fun and entertainment on our minds, so stay where you are. Right after this timeout, we're going to come back with a quick look at what's going on in Nashville Music City, USA. We've got a country music report headed your way. We'll tell you about some stuff going on there and some not-so-good news in terms of the ratings of this week's ACM award show that aired on CBS. That's coming up next as y'all continues. Hang on. show and it was this week in 1993 that that song right there came out and ended up being a debut number one for toby keith and got him going on an amazing career in music and more toby keith out of clinton oklahoma claims more oklahoma is his home now but an amazing artist on Mercury Nashville Records. And when that song came out, it was adopted by the Dallas Cowboys right in the height of their 
three back to back super back to back to back Super Bowl victories and just a, a great song and a great career by Toby Keith. Congratulations to Toby on a job well done with that song and the album that that came out on ended up having top top five hits that included He Ain't Worth Missing, a little less talk, a lot more action, and Wish I Didn't Know Now. This is our country music spotlight here on this Y'all Show. We normally will have Precious Harris right on Music Road joining us for this, but she had something going on that we couldn't bring her in. But I think I'll do a pretty good job filling in for her because country music is one of the things that I kind of claim to be a pretty good, knowledgeable guy on. I worked in Nashville. In case you don't know my background, I worked at CMT. I worked for the Crook and Chase show for a number of years. I have covered country music since I started in country radio in 1988. And so, yeah, I was there when Toby Keith came out with a song. I was at the good old country music radio, country radio seminar is what it's called in 1993 when Toby Keith was packaged with a lady named Shania Twain and a guy named John Brandon as part of Mercury Records triple play tour pretty neat little marketing plan they had to to launch all three of those artists toby keith shania twain and john brannan and they hit in baseball since it had a baseball theme when they came out with that plan two of those three became superstars poor old john brannan i don't know what happened to him he and i actually went to lunch one time he bought our lunch primarily because we're both south carolinians uh, but, John, thanks for the lunch. I'm sorry the rest of the music career probably didn't work out as good as it did for Toby Keith and Shania Twain. But, yeah, this week, 1993, Should Have Been a Cowboy came out from Toby Keith. And what a what a fantastic song. As he wrote about this song or talked about this song, he said, Me and some friends wandered into a bar in Dodge City, Kansas, where the old TV show Gunsmoke was set, and watched a buddy get shot down by the pretty girl he asked to dance. Young guy in a hat walked up after she went right off to the floor with him. Someone turned to her friend and said, You should have been a cowboy. We got back to the hotel, and I wrote it in the bathroom once everybody fell asleep, turned it in with my whole life's work to that point once I got a record deal. <laughs> So, see, that's one of the great things about country music. It usually has something to do with a real-life story. And in this case, somebody got shot down in a bar, and, yeah, you should, you should have been a cowboy. Maybe that's my problem with uh, the lady folk. I, I should have been a cowboy. Maybe it's not too late to become a cowboy. If you're out there struggling and you're looking for love in all the wrong places, get you a cowboy hat, become a cowboy, and who knows what can happen going forward if that indeed is is what happens. All right, Billy Gimmons is set to have an all-star tribute featuring Brad Paisley, Eric Church, and others. The ZZ Top founder will get the tribute treatment in this upcoming concert taking place May 16th in Nashville. It's going to also have Lucinda Williams as part of this. A tribute to Billy Gibbons will have live performances at the Grand Ole Opera House before a limited capacity, socially distanced audience. This lineup also includes Larkin Poe, Ronnie Millsap, Tim Montana, actor-singer Dennis Quaid, Travis Tritt, and a whole lot more. Concert donations will benefit first responders and military nonprofit groups, including the USO and Thanks USA. 
Long before Gibbons landed at number 32 on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest guitarists and grew his signature beard, by the way, he was playing in the psychedelic garage band The Moving Sidewalks back in the 1960s, and Gibbons has made numerous guest appearances on songs including Kid Rock's Hillbilly Stomp, Ronnie Dunn's Honky Tonk Stomp, and he even joined trio Chapel Heart in their video for Jesus in Alcohol. In 2006, Billy Gibbons and Brad Paisley were among the guitarists paying tribute to the late country legend and an architect of the Bakersfield sound, Buck Owens, and they did that as part of the ACM Awards. Billy Gibbons Tribute, featuring Brad Paisley, Eric Church, and more, set for just a couple of weeks from now at the Grand Ole Opry House in Nashville. All to be pretty good. And uh, didn't I? I think I just played ZZ Top just a few minutes ago here on the show. In case you haven't heard their music lately, you can check that out here on the Y'all Show as we give a little bit of every every type of music, country and western, a spin here on the program. Billy Gibbons is 71 years young now, born in Houston, Texas, and grew up in the Tanglewood neighborhood of H-Town and ended up uh, going to art school in California at one point and even became a friend of Jimi Hendrix's. And then he formed ZZ Top in 1969 alongside Dusty Hill and drummer Rube Beard, both members of the band American Blues. And I think he lives in Nashville, I think. I think he's there or he's there a good bit, and that's one of the reasons he's kind of got this friendship going with all these country music types. But a tribute for Billy Gibbons taking place May 16th. Maybe you can find a way to get a ticket for that, and that's taking place at the Grand Ole Opry House right off of Briley Parkway in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, I just talked about Travis Tritt a second ago as he's part of of this tribute to Billy Gibbons. Well, Travis Tritt, the man that brought us T-R-U-B-L-E, a remake of an old Elvis song, the man that said, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. Here's a guy whose first song was, I'm a member of the country club. Travis Tritt is now promoting his forthcoming album that's set for a May 7th release, set in stone as the multi-platinum artist is revisiting the early days of his country music career in a way with this new album. Way to go, Travis Tritt. I think I saw recently he has not put out an album in more than a decade, and so we're looking forward to Travis Tritt. In fact, he has a daughter that's now singing, and he met his wife from one of his music videos. Just a stunning lady, and I I should know which one it was, one of those mid-'90s music videos. He fell in love there working on a music video, Travis Tritt, whose number one hits include Help Me Hold On Anymore and Foolish Pride. He's got a new recording, a new song called Smoke in a Bar, which he refers to as a song that pines for humbler times when the world was not so fast-moving and simple things weren't overlooked or taken for granted. Yeah, man, I long for those days too, Travis. And he said it was an absolute pleasure to get back in the studio again. It felt like he had never left. His manager, Cheese Brown, how would you like to have a name? Cheese Cheese Brown encouraged him to treat old fans to something new and collect new fans along the way. And they started talking about it, and it became an exciting idea in his mind. Again, this latest effort. And I've seen the music video. Travis is running around, it looks like maybe his native Georgia, on a scooter, a motorcycle. Smoke in a Bar is the new song from Travis Tritt. And since I'm embarrassing everybody here on the show with their age and what else they're up to these days, let me go see what 
Travis's age is. I'm going to say he's about 55, 58. Born in Marietta, Georgia, 19, home of the Big Chicken Marietta. Born in 1963, uh, he's age 58 years old. And I was talking about his lovely wife. I guess I should give her a shout out here while I'm talking about her here on the Y'all Show. Uh, he married Teresa Nelson in 1997. They have a daughter, Tyler Reese. Tyler Reese is now 23 years old. He also has two sons. And as I said, his daughter, Tyler, is out uh, with her own music career. Travis Tritt, that debut single from him was Country Club 1989, I think. or Yeah, 1989, Country Club out on Warner Brothers. That was not a top. That was not a top five song. It went to only to number nine. But that second song from that Country Club CD on Warner Brothers, "Help Me Hold On," good slow song, did hit the top of the charts to his credit. But uh, now pushing thirty plus years in country music, Travis Trick, keep them keep them coming, Travis. Good to have you back in the studio and making good music. Gabby Barrett in the news as she's being celebrated. Uh, she celebrated being the ACM's best new female artist. You know how she celebrated? She changed a diaper. Yeah. She headed out of the house with her husband and fellow artist Kate Foreman to perform a number one single, The Good Ones. And when she finished that and celebrated winning a 56 ACM award, the best new female artist award winner said she went out and changed a diaper. Way to go, Gabby Barrett. Huh? Uh, I don't think I ever changed a diaper just following an award, an award-winning diaper changer. How about that? Yeah, so good news there. And I don't know if she's a mother or not. Let me see if I can't pull that up. You know, you'd think I'd know that. That's something that Precious Harris would be able to tell us right off the bat. Gabby Barrett is a native of Los Angeles, got some good music out there on the charts and more. She married fellow American Idol contestant Cade Foner in 2019, and they have a daughter. There you have it. She was, no wonder I didn't know this. Her daughter, Bela May, was born in January of this year, so she's only got a four-month-old child, and I, I guess I missed that one in the headlines. Since the child was born right when Biden was taken over president, I guess she didn't get a lot of attention there, but she was an American Idol contestant and ended up being kind of known for that Role. Gabby Barrett, 21-year-old Pennsylvania native and a mommy. Congratulations with your win and getting that diaper changed. And speaking of those ACM awards that's just been released, the ratings for that took a big dive as they've seen numbers they haven't seen for that in a long time. ACM awards that aired Sunday on CBS drew just under 6.3 million viewers, and that's a pretty low audience number for sure compared to 6.6 millions that watched it that, that watched it the previous year those according to Nielsen figures Luke Bryan was crowned entertainer of the year and a show hosted by Keith Urban and Mickey Guyton and so I don't know what's going on a lot of these award shows are seeing slumping numbers but there we have it on CBS the ACM awards not getting the numbers that they're used to getting and maybe those numbers will go up in the future. I'll tell you what numbers are going up, and that's the Y'all Show. And we've got a business report courtesy of the Southern Accent Report that's coming your way 
right after this break. And don't forget, Hour 3, Art Cruz will be in, and he'll tell us about what's going on in the sportics world as well as what's going on in the Art Cruz world. All that's coming your way as the Y'all Show continues right after this timeout. All right, wrapping up this hour here on the Y'all Show, we're going to turn it over to Kobe Bennett for a moment with a Southern accent on Southern business. Southern accent. Here's the business south update from Y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. As the fight against COVID wages on and more and more businesses have opened back up, one institution might actually be faced with a financial headwind as restrictions are being lifted. The Home Depot was one of the few businesses allowed to stay open during the pandemic, with the home improvement chain experiencing a 19.9% rise in revenue. The average revenue growth rate for the Georgia-based company was just 6.9% for the last decade, but with people stuck at home, the desire to spend on leisure and outdoor entertainment grew exponentially, which had near non-existent revenue in 2019. Now consumers will have more options for spending their money, and the demand for outdoor activities is lower. For Home Depot shareholders, the boost in revenue was a welcome change of pace. Things will be slowing down now. People will always need home improvement. However, they can now get out of their homes. Business news, headlines, and more at y'all.com. If you're worried... That is a wrap on this hour of the Y'all Show. We are coming right back at you. We got Art Cruz talking sports and more. And also in hour number three of today's Y'all Show, we've got more headlines coming at you. So stay tuned for that. And we'll also get you set up for the weekend. If you're looking for somewhere to go these days, well, things are opening back up. We already told you earlier in the week about the 68th World's Biggest Fish Fry. We'll let you know more information on that and some other fun things around the Southeast that are happening. All that's coming up in hour number two, or three rather. Stay with us. Hello, South Rons. This is the Y'all Show as we wrap up this Thursday edition. I'm John Rawl. Wonderful to have you back here. Also joined now by Art Cruise. Cruise Control. We're set for this third hour, and I'm just going to turn it over to Cruise Control, and I'm going to take a nap. So, Art, it's all yours. John, don't, don't leave me here alone by myself, please. Yeah, well, uh, I'll be here in spirit. You are our captain, our fearless leader here on the Y'all Show. And uh, I don't think I could keep the ship afloat and between the two banks without you. But I appreciate the intro. Yeah, well, we've got a lot of fun coming up here with Art and yours truly. If you want to get involved, 803-816-1170 is the easy way to do that. Text or call us. We'll take it right here on y'all. Coming up this hour, we've got a quick look at headlines in a few minutes. Also, we'll let you know about some places you might want to put down on your docket and travel to in the coming hours and days. Our Festive South feature before we get out of here on this Thursday y'all show. Looking at sports news and notes across the Southeast. Art, what's going on on that front? Well, I've got 
I usually talk about sports when I come in, John, and uh, but you give me the leeway to talk about things other than sports, and there's just something on my mind here um, that sort of bleeds from sports into a little politics, but it's just... Bo- Look, don't, don't tell me LeBron James. It's bothersome to me, John. It really is. I, I cannot, is that what you're going to talk about? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. I cannot believe, and this is not, uh, doesn't fit neatly within to the y'all show format, but on the other hand, this is something that affects us no matter where we live, no matter whether we have an affection for the South and live in the South, or uh, or like other unfortunate people are who live elsewhere, but yet still have an affection for the South. You know, if I, if I could set up the, the background a little bit of this, as you know, John, yesterday was a tension-filled day for our country in the sense that the George Floyd verdict was returned. As it turns out, uh, Mr. Floyd's, uh, the defendant in that case, uh, was found guilty of all three charges, uh, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and also manslaughter. However, unfortunately, Unfortunately, yesterday something else occurred, and that is that a 16-year-old young lady, Micaiah Bryant, was shot by a policeman. Now, this occurred in Ohio. Uh, It occurred late yesterday evening, and as soon as this shooting occurred, people started piling on and started wailing and gnashing their teeth because... It was a police officer shooting a black person. Now, I like to look at these things, John, and just take race out of it. And let's not look at whether it's a white policeman or a black policeman or a white victim or a black victim. But the problem with this was, of course, we have had in the, in the, here lately, Seemingly an unusual number of high profile police shooting in which shootings in which white officers have been involved with black people. And this is another one. Now, LeBron James, how did we bring him into this conversation? Well, as soon as this police shooting made the headlines, LeBron used his extensive, extensive social media pressure and presence to single out this police officer. As a matter of fact, he posted a picture of this police officer and posted along with that picture, you're next with a picture of an hourglass. Now, this is LeBron James, and I don't know off the top of my head, John, how many followers he has on Twitter, I would have guessed it's hundreds of millions. But to single out an individual policeman and say, hey, buddy, you're next, that carries a lot of weight in this country. Now, the problem is that this policeman shot a young lady who was about to stab a second young lady. This police officer did his job. He encountered a fight between two women. One of the women, the one that was shot, the one that was neutralized, was about to stab and possibly kill the person that she was involved in the fight with. 
I would imagine that the young lady who was about to be stabbed and her family and her friends and all well-meaning people are glad that this officer took the action that he did. But did LeBron James wait to determine what the facts of this case were? Did he wait to see if the officer acted correctly? Did he wait to see if the officer train, uh, followed his training and neutralized someone who was attempting to create, to commit a crime and indeed injure or kill another human being? No. LeBron James immediately seized upon the fact that it was a white officer and a black young woman that he shot. And that is just heartbreaking to me, John, on so many different levels. We have reached the point in our country where race does nothing but divide us. Our politicians, I understand our politicians do that. I say many times, John, that if you put a 100 white people here in the South in a room with a 100 black people, 99 of the white people would like 99 of the black people, and 99 of the black people would like 99 of the white people. I'm willing to test that theory out. I think we we can do it right here on the Y'all Show. Uh, But the politicians come in and they divide us along economic lines, they divide us along racial lines, and they do that to enhance their power base. But here we've got a sports figure doing this now. And LeBron James tweeted out, you're next. A threat. An abject threat. I don't know how, John, you can take this any other way than a threat. Any other way than, hey, we're coming to get you. You may have shot and killed someone, but you're next, buddy. Just absolutely irresponsible. Someone you need to have some self-awareness. If you are a person of the notoriety of of LeBron James and know that you are followed by millions of people who wait and who hang upon your every word and will do a lot of times what you ask people to do. And for him to single out this officer is ridiculous. Now, he did take the tweet down. Which shows that he knew he was wrong. But after taking the tweet down, he started blaming other people again. He Hmm. said that the words of others were racist. Hmm. He says that other people are to blame for him tweeting this out. This happened in Columbus, Ohio. And John, I don't know how you felt about it, but to see this, uh, it was unbelievable to me. I thought it was a joke, something you might find in the in the Sacramento Bee or the or the or the the Onion, but no, this was something that LeBron James actually tweeted out, uh, and this is his home state of Ohio, mm-hmm. and I understand uh, him having strong feelings for what happens in his home state. But to th- what if something happened to this officer? What if one of LeBron James' fans had read this and acted upon it? Art, I want to ask you, we're talking with Art Cruz here on the Y'all Show, and if you have something to say about this or any other subject, our numbers are ready to go, 803-816-1170. Art Cruz, prior to jumping in here and being on with us with the Y'all Show, a long and distinguished legal career as an attorney, 
One of the reasons this story in Columbus, Ohio, has gained a lot of attraction besides LeBron is the fact that they released the police cam footage real soon after this happened, within 24 hours. Now, in your legal career, I doubt that the body cam footage was something that was a a major part of your long career, but maybe toward the end it could have been. What is your opinion of how law enforcement is letting these, or maybe they're being forced to, letting these videos out so quick after uh, an incident happens? Well, as you know, John, it's very, very unusual for body cam footage to be released this quickly because an internal investigation has to occur, an external investigation has to occur. People need to study these videos before they're released to the public to make sure there's nothing incendiary in in these body cam footage. But this one was forced their hand was forced. They had to release it quickly because the Columbus police, and I give them credit for this, correctly took the temperature of the nation after LeBron James made his tweet and realized that if we don't get this out there, if we don't calm the waters somehow, there are going to be some crazies in this country that are going to act on LeBron James' tweet and attempt to do something to this officer. So quickly, they released this body cam footage, and it showed without a doubt that this officer acted consistently with his training and consistency consistent with the law in stopping this young lady who was shot, unfortunately, and killed, but in stopping her from killing or maiming the person that she was in a fight in with a knife. It's very unfortunate. It puts the police in a bad position. But thank goodness, it doesn't seem there's going to be any downside to having to release this so quickly. But uh, again, I will once again give credit to the police officers and the police department in Columbus for releasing this so quickly and putting a cap on what could seemingly have been a real typhoon yesterday in the news. Well, we have reported on it today on this show that in North Carolina, a breaking story, developing story from there, as a man, a black man there named Andrew Brown Jr. was killed by a sheriff's deputy in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. That is a developing story there. I don't know if body cam or police footage have what they have there in that eastern North Carolina city there. But another unfortunate headline here on the Y'all Show as we go through this together as a country. We we will get through it, but boy, having someone like LeBron James throw fuel on the fire does not help in our – in my opinion, I think, Art, you would agree with that. And, and John, I used to be a big fan of the NBA, uh, and this was before uh, we had a team to like here in the South, before there was anything like a Memphis Grizzlies, before there was anything like – an Atlanta Hawks team. Why I remember uh, back in 1970, I could not wait to go to Nashville and watch young Pete Maravich play in one of his first exhibition games at Nashville Auditorium as a member of the Atlanta Hawks. I remember Richie Guerin was the coach, and Pete Maravich had just been drafted LSU kid by 
the Atlanta Hawks, who had moved from St. Louis. As a side note, I remember getting to the game a little bit late, John, and there was a parking place right out in front of the auditorium, and it was wide open. I could not believe it. Their parking was stacked chock-a-block, blocks around, but for some reason there was this place open right on the street, right in front of the arena, and I just pulled my car in there. I looked to make sure that it wasn't a loading zone, and it wasn't. I thought I had cracked the code, so I parked (laughs) my car there, went in and watched the great Pete Maravich play, came back out after the game, and my car, let's just say that there was a tree beside my car, and a lot of birds had rested in that tree during the game, and they must have eaten dinner because uh, my car was covered in bird guano. And <laughs> <laughs> all the other Nashville residents knew better than to park in that one spot, uh, but it took an out-of-towner to go. come in. But in, in all seriousness, I love the NBA. I'm, I, I tell that old story just to show that I'm not just an anti-NBA person. I was a, Before we had a Southern team, I loved the Philadelphia 76ers, Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Hal Greer, Chet Walker. I loved the ball old Boston Celtics teams, love the old St. Louis Hawks teams. So, but this, the NBA, as you are fond of saying here the last couple of days in quoting our friend uh, Clay Travis, when you go woke, you go broke. And this is what's happening with the NBA now. And here, specifically with LeBron James tweeting this out, this incendiary tweet about almost inviting people to visit violence upon this officer. Now, LeBron took his tweet down, and John, what is what is wrong with people who just can't say I'm wrong, just can't say I made a mistake? A subsequent tweet by LeBron James says, quote, this isn't just about one officer. It's about the entire system, and they always use our words to create more racism, close quote. Now, who's they? First of all, who is they, LeBron? Yeah. And then you say, they always use our words to create more racism. No, LeBron, instead of saying I was wrong, instead of saying I jumped to conclusions, you attempt to point the finger at others. You were the one, LeBron, that stoked the flames of racism. You were the one that blamed this white officer for this shooting simply because he was white and the the person he shot was black. Instead of trying to wiggle your way out of a situation like this where you practically called for the injury or death of this white officer simply because he discharged his duties, instead of simply apologizing, he attempts once again to scapegoat whoever they is and say it's our fault. A really disappointing day for the NBA and for LeBron James yesterday. All right, I got a book I'm going to forward to you. You might have a good late night reading with this. Laura Ingram's Shut Up and Dribble. That looks like a a next read for you. Hey, we are not done talking about sports. When we come back after this timeout, we're going to find out about the Saints and the NFL draft. Also, Freddie Freeman of the Bravos uh, contract. What's up with that? Art Cruz will tell us when the Y'all Show rolls on after this. 
on the y'all show talking everything southern with you and our website is y'all.com the best four letter word out there y-a-l-l.com and go there right now and learn about all things southern and listen to all things southern just go to the y'all show tab at y'all.com and you can listen to this show in its entirety and even go back in the archives and listen to past shows. And, of course, we ask a simple favor. All this is free, by the way. We only ask that you please share and tell when you're at the beauty shop. Tell everybody, hey, man, there's this guy named Art Cruz that talks about the South, and he does an amazing job. And then there's this guy named John that's on there, too. And y'all just got to hear it. Well, there's an easy way to do that. Go to y'all.com. And find the Y'all Show there. Of course, we also broadcasting on great radio stations. Thank you to our affiliates. Thank you to our listeners all over the Southeast and more. We're spreading like kudzu. Well, the NFL announced on Wednesday they're going to have some changes, some new rules changes. Art, did you have a chance to see what they're planning to do with all these changes? I did not see about the rules changes. Replay change was the big headline as they're going to have that in place in the upcoming season. And so you ask, well, what in the world does that mean? I hope they're going to shorten the time for review. Yeah, they, they're they basically going to allow – well, there was talk about having sort of a, a czar, a replay czar that I guess could really interrupt the flow of the game and everything else like that. Replay officials will not be able to throw flags or reverse calls on their own but they now can offer referees advice based on what they've seen on replays in the areas of possession, completed or intercepted passes, the location of the ball relative to the boundary or in line, and whether a player is down by contact. That's just some of these new rule changes coming out of the NFL. And another thing for us to be aware of coming up in the new season of the NFL is they're going to allow players to change some some of the position players who normally wouldn't have a low number, a number from one to nine. They're going to allow running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, defensive backs, and linebackers to be able to wear single digits if they so choose. Something else fun for you to keep up with. Oh, boy. Well, I know the NFL was really strict in years past. If you were a guard, you had to wear a number in the 60s. If you were a tackle, you had to wear a number in the 70s. A center had to wear a number in the 50s. So they're finally relaxing the rules uh, to allow people to choose a number in the single digits for John uh as far as if this is all Roger Goodell has got to do to get paid over a million dollars a month, please let me have a part of that job. I bet you he makes more than a million a month. I mean, uh, I, I, I think his salary is around fifteen million a year. 
So uh, I'm gonna um, double check. Double check that. that. I, I thought I remembered him making something like forty million right, a well, year. Well, but I'm gonna look it up. Get our crack research team on this, and let's see if According I'm According to Wikipedia. Now here's what. Okay. CBSSports.com says that. Uh, Roger Cadell reported $11.6 million in salary and perks in 2010 alone. His salary will reach $20 million in 2019. So that's uh, from a couple of years ago. Hey, uh, well, here's a story from last year. Commissioner gives up his $40 million salary for some, uh, maybe because of the pandemic. That's what it was. I think he makes $40 million. Well, I, like I said, he makes a million dollars a month. And he may make more than that, yeah. but he certainly makes at least a million dollars a month. I mean, I month. know that's pocket that's, change for somebody like you. Well, as I said, if I'm walking down the street and I see that lying on the sidewalk, that's enough money for me to make the effort to bend over and pick it up. Yeah. You know, not necessarily any less money than that. Yeah. Rules changes coming for the NFL. A change coming for the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans. What's oh. going on with them? And, and we are one week away from the draft. You know, I have an affinity for the Saints like I do. Uh, they're not my favorite team, but I have an affinity for the Saints because of many reasons. One of them is that they play in our part of the country. Uh, Archie Manning was a longtime quarterback for the Saints. You know, one of the things that the Saints fans are interested in is what they're going to do at quarterback because their longtime quarterback, Drew Brees, has retired. But are the Saints going to to look at the quarterback position in the NFL draft? I don't think they are, John. I think they are, at this point in time anyway, content on going with Jameis Winston at quarterback. And um, this is the same Jameis Winston that uh, threw 31 interceptions two years ago for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, they also have Taysom Hill as a quarterback, but he's more like a Swiss Army knife type player. He can play running back. He can play slot receiver. To me, he's almost like a little toy gadget that Coach Sean Payton gets to use. When when Breeze was hurt last year, Taysom Hill started several games and, in my opinion, didn't really distinguish himself. So I look for the Saints to go with Jameis Winston at quarterback. And hopefully under Sean Payton's system, he will do better than he did two years ago when, again, he led the league when he threw 31 interceptions during the 2019 season. I think he threw for 31 interceptions and 31 touchdowns. It, it, Is that he, right? He, that was exactly right. He had a five, you can look at it as having a 500 season. <laughs> That's completing a lot of passes, John. It's just that he has an affinity for completing passes to people wearing the wrong color uniform. And uh, so here comes Jameis this year. But they won't go to quarterback. I think – the Saints need to look at one of two different places to go in their draft. One would be linebacker. Now, Demario Davis is an all-pro linebacker, but he's 32 years old, and that's getting on up there in NFL years. I don't know a specific number of years that we should give an NFL player like we give in dog years, but I can guarantee you that 32 is quite elderly when you talk about NFL linebackers. Um, they have resigned Quan Alexander, but he'll be coming off an Achilles injury 
They have Zach Brown, Caden Ellis, who have shown flashes of talent, but both of them are inconsistent. So therefore, I think New Orleans needs to go young. They don't need to explore the trade market. They need to go young and draft a linebacker in this NFL draft. Now, that's not what a lot of people think. They believe that the Saints also have a big hole at cornerback. I can't disagree with that. Obviously, they need help on the defensive side of the ball. If they go cornerback, uh, it's something that is not really sexy, but it's something they need. Now, they lost Janoris Jenkins. He was a salary cap casualty. He's with the Tennessee Titans this year. They have added Marshawn Lattimore. They have added Marcus Williams in hopes of shoring up that secondary. However, when releasing Jenkins, this, in my opinion, caused a gaping hole to exist back there. So if I had to choose between linebacker and cornerback, I would certainly go the cornerback route in the NFL. The passing game has become so much more important than it was just a few short years ago because of rules changes in the NFL. You can hardly breathe on a wide receiver without getting a flag <laughs> for pass interference. Yeah, that's it. You had gotten a flag from the back judge without a doubt. Probably thrown out. And... Uh, if you don't have top-notch cornerback play, uh, you're not going to be able to stop anybody on defense. Uh, I think they should go cornerback, linebacker next. Again, not really uh, a sexy pick, one that will probably get boos from the Saints fans once the pick is made. But just know that if a cornerback is taken, and then a linebacker probably taken after that. The Saints are indeed filling the need that they have. And New Orleans pretty far down on the pecking order in this upcoming draft, primarily because they've been one of the best teams in the NFL. Now let me ask you about another team, and then I'm going to ask you about a, a position that is a name from a SEC school that's getting some traction but since he's not a quarterback, it's not getting as much traction. Let's first, though, talk about a team that does have a pretty good spot in the NFL draft, the Falcons of Atlanta, who I think are number four. They are number four. What's going on in terms of their draft pick? Well, John, I think this is one of those times where a decision is going to be made that could really affect the fortunes of the Falcons for years and years to come. There is no more position in sports, in my opinion, more important than the quarterback. For instance, in baseball, uh, you can patch together a pitching staff. In baseball, if you don't have a lot of really good hitters, you can in my parlance, steal runs by bunning, stealing bases, and just playing aggressive baseball. In basketball, you don't have to have that one guy who carries the load either offensively or defensively. Not so in football. The quarterback position is the most important position in football, other than the center. 
The quarterback is the only person that touches the ball every play in football. If you don't get that position right, then your team won't be right. If you don't believe that's true, just check with any University of Tennessee fan or Jeremy Pruitt or Jarrett Garantano and ask how the Tennessee Volunteers have done the past, oh, for that matter, 15 years <laughs> without a decent quarterback, without the years of Josh Dobbs in there and without the Eric Ainge years in there. Tennessee has been horrible, and this is what the Falcons face. Do they want to take a quarterback at number four? Matt Ryan has been an excellent NFL quarterback for years and years, but the fact remains he's 36 years old. So do you go with number four and pick a quarterback and plan for the future, or do you think that, well, the Falcons can can take the attitude that Matt Ryan is only peaking. He's not anywhere near a decline in his production. And so they can take a quarterback in the second round and go ahead and pick a player that's going to help them immediately. Quarterback now or quarterback later. Matt Ryan is the only quarterback on that roster. So there's no doubt, no doubt, that the Falcons will pick a quarterback. The only question is, do they pick one of the top quarterbacks for immediate for, for to allow that quarterback to sit on the bench for a year or two and be uh, and let Matt Ryan mentor him, or do you allow Matt Ryan to play another year or two and take someone down in the second, third, or fourth round? Well, Quite frankly, in my opinion, I think you were about to ask me what my opinion, John. What is your opinion? And my opinion is you let Matt Ryan play. All right. Well, if that were the scenario, then let me throw a name out of there from the swamp that could be a good choice for Atlanta or another team drafting in the first round. Kyle Pitts, a tight end for Dan Mullen down at Florida. What's your thoughts on Mr. Pitts? I think Pitts is a unique I think he's one of those guys that you just, if you're the Atlanta Falcons, you simply cannot afford to pass on. He presents unique challenges no matter where he lines up. He can line up in the slot. He can line up at the tight end position. He can line up in the backfield as an H-back and run patterns out of the backfield. He's simply, in my opinion, unguardable by an NFL defense. I think if you passed up on Kyle Pitts, it would be a monstrous mistake. If you want to help your quarterback, get him a receiver that is dependable and that can get open, and Kyle Pitts is that receiver. In addition to that, when you line him up at the tight end position, John, he's an excellent blocker. He's a player whose skill set we haven't seen come around in the NFL for some time. The closest player that I know in the NFL to Kyle Pitts is the San Francisco 49ers tied in, uh, George Kittle. Kittle is a perennial all-pro, and I look for Pitts to be a perennial all-pro. I believe the Titans should go Kyle Pitts at the number four position in the draft. Falcons, that it was... Who did I say? Titans. Oh, you, my you might have had. Well, I wish the Titans had him, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah, but they could move up in the draft. Who knows? Hey, I want to ask you about baseball. Before I do that, one name I'm not hearing anybody talk about in the draft is your current Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. 
He'll be a wide receiver in the NFL. What's up with that? Well, I, I believe he'll be one of the first wide receivers drafted. This is a deep wide receiver draft in the NFL. And um, there's no doubt that he will go in the first round. Uh, Mel Kuyper has him going to one team. Uh, I don't care what Mel Kuyper thinks. Uh, I care what Art Cruz thinks. Well, uh, Art Cruz knows that it's a deep NFL wide receiver draft, and there's no need to move up in the draft to get a receiver because there are a plethora, and that's the word for the day, there are a plethora of wide receivers available in the NFL draft. He will go in the first round. Uh, this is a quarterback draft. Everybody is quarterback hungry, and that's why someone even like Matt Jones, someone who is a marginal talent, a marginal NFL talent, in my opinion, like Matt Jones, will probably go number three in this draft. All right. NFL draft one week away from this day. How about that? Let's keep it in Atlanta while we talk about professional sports there. And Freddie Freeman, contract for the Atlanta Braves first baseman. What's going on with that? Well, I believe the Braves are playing with fire with Freddie Freeman. I really, really like Freddie Freeman as a player. He's solid. He feels his position well. He hits the baseball, puts it in play. Uh, he's an all-star. Freddie Freeman is coming off of a contract that he signed Eight years ago, for $135 million. After this year, John, he's a free agent. And it's hard for me to believe that the Braves have not approached Freddie Freeman yet about a contract extension. If they don't get Freddie Freeman to sign an extension, then Freddie Freeman will become a free agent after this year. And believe me, he will be one of the most coveted free agents to hit the market. Now, the Braves got a, got a steal, quite frankly, in signing Freeman to an eight-year, $135 million contract that is going to expire this year. So from 2014 through 2021, the Braves were on the good side of that contract. I believe Freddie Freeman will be looking for some payback, whether that's the right way to look at it or the wrong way to look at it. Some people say you never pay a player for past production. Of course, a player like Freddie Freeman, who was underpaid for his past production, would disagree with that. But Freddie Freeman is going to sign a big contract. He's in his age 32 year. He's got four or five good, more solid years of hitting the baseball. He's not going to sign for any less than 20 to $25 billion a year. But, John, he is your bell cow if you're the Atlanta Braves. They've got some great young talent on that team, of course, and Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, uh, Albies. Albies. Uh, they got some great young pitching on the team, but you don't let Freddie Freeman walk. And for them – the Braves, not to even approach Freddie Freeman to talk about an extension at this point in time, I think is is malfeasance. I really do. And Freddie Freeman has come out and has said something that would make me shiver if I were a Braves fan. And that is this. Freddie Freeman has said 
that I don't like distractions, and I'm not going to talk about any contract extension while the season is being played. So according to Freddie Freeman, contract talks are off the table all during this year, and he's not going to talk about an extension until after the playing season is over. And John, the longer you go without talking about a contract, the closer and closer Freddie E. Freeman gets to free agency. The Braves ought to be shot for not clearing the deck with Freddie Freeman and getting a contract done with him before the year started. The season's going to be over. There are going to be suitors all around the National League and the American League for him. If he wants to stay home in Atlanta, that's great. But if he has an eye toward looking at a team that will pay him not only for what he's going to produce in years to come, but essentially pay him back for what he's done in the past because he was on a cheap contract. He may be out of Atlanta, and that would be horrible for the future of the Braves. Yeah, and I kind of see Freddie Freeman as this generation's Chipper Jones, a guy who spent so many years with the organization and could have left, never did. And Braves fans want to see Freddie Freeman stick around Cobb County, if at all possible, heading into the 2022 baseball season one other thing college basketball related before we take a break roy williams hung it up a few weeks ago as the north carolina coach art what is the reason that he chose now and this year to retire you know john that's a mystery to me i mean john uh, roy williams is a college basketball lifer I mean, this is a guy that was an assistant coach for years and years and years at North Carolina. He then went to Kansas and had a great deal of success at the University of Kansas. It was really a struggle for Roy Williams when Mama came calling, when North Carolina called and asked him to come back home and fix North Carolina after the retirement of Dean Smith. He came back to North Carolina, and he's won a national championship, I believe, as recently as 2017. Roy Williams gave no indication of slowing down or wanting to get out of coaching, but suddenly, without warning, surprising everybody, he announced that he's done. And the more you look at his comments over the past couple of months, the more you see that Roy Williams mentions over and over and over the transfer portal. The transfer portal, of course, is something new in college sports. We have a rule now where the NCAA athlete can transfer from one school to another without sitting out a year. In the olden days, before the transfer portal, If one wanted to transfer from, say, North Carolina to Louisville, an athlete could do that. However, in order to accomplish that, the athlete would have to sit out one year of playing. But now you can almost become a free agent in college sports if you want to go from school A to school B and school B has room for you. In terms of scholarship numbers, you can become a free agent and leave. Roy Williams is really, really big on loyalty. 
And I believe the transfer portal, which has quite frankly changed the face of college basketball, has changed the face of college football. I believe that was something that Roy Williams simply didn't want to have to deal with. He's 70 years old. He's a multi-time national champion. He lost uh, Walker Keller, who was one of the top recruits for North Carolina a year ago. Walker Keller left North Carolina because he wasn't pleased with his playing time. He's now signed with Auburn, and I believe the loss of Walker Keller to college free agency is the is the nail in the coffin that that said this is it for Roy Williams at North Carolina. All right. Art Cruz here on the Y'all Show. Taking a break. When we come back, we've just got a story in that's going to be hard to digest out of Florida. Oh, you better be careful when you're on I-95 there in northeast Florida. We'll tell you about that. Also, before we get out of here this hour, a quick look at some festivals going on around Dixie. All that as we wrap up, y'all, on a Thursday. Break one nine, break one nine. This is the Y'all Show, kind of wrapping things up here for a Thursday. Glad to have you back with us, John Rawl, Art Cruz here in our final hour, and we're going to go to the highways and byways of the Southeast here for our next story. As we have this to share with you, a seventy-one-year-old woman riding with her daughter on I ninety-five near Daytona Beach, Florida, suffered a gash on her forehead on Wednesday. When a turtle smashed through the windshield of their car, the daughter pulled off the road and got help from another motorist. According to a 911 recording, both were surprised by what they found. You think you'd be surprised by a turtle flying through the air and hitting your windshield arc? I'd like to know, John, and maybe you could help me out in this area. How did the turtle become airborne in the first place? I don't know, but the daughter explained after this happened, there's a turtle in there, a turtle, an actual turtle, and the gash actually drew a lot of blood, according to the article about this. And the daughter told the 911 operator that she tended to her injured mother saying, I swear to God, this lady has the worst luck of anything the turtle had the best luck of anything it just had a few scratches on its shell and actually was released back into the nearby woods there in port orange florida talk about a tough tough turtle well, so it wasn't turtle blood that we need to be worried about then. No, it was a woman. Got oh, okay. Well, I was worried there for a while that this turtle had shed blood. Uh, it, Trevor Lawrence is going to be one of the newest members of the Jacksonville Jaguars football team. Could it be that he's already arrived in Florida early and practicing throwing with some turtles and he's not very accurate? How in the world can a turtle survive hitting a windshield at 90 miles an hour or whatever. And Somebody is on an overpass right now, John, dropping turtles <laughs> off of an overpass onto passing cars underneath. Yeah, I guess they don't have enough to do in Florida. Yeah, that uh, a, a bizarre story, as we often find them coming out of the Sunshine State this time of year. I'll tell you what, we've got a lot of fun things going on across the southeast that don't involve 
fly, they don't involve flying turtles. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up today's y'all show telling you about something going on in Paris, Tennessee, and also something taking place at the Florabama. Can't wait for that. I want to find out if Art Cruz has ever hung out at the Florabama Lounge. All that as we conclude today's y'all show. We'll be right back, y'all. segment here on this thursday y'all show the late little richard with little lucille here and don't know if you're going to hear that one or not when you travel to the florida um, well you got to go to florida to get there the flora bama lounge this week the annual interstate mullet toss is headed your way there just outside of pensacola it opens friday runs through sunday the annual mullet toss how about that art cruise the only thing I'll say about me being at the Floribama Lounge, John, is she had an ID that said she was 18 years old. <laughs> when when did this happen? Uh, that's all I'm going to say, okay, John. Right. She was 18. Yeah, the mullet toss there, a big thing. Last year's event canceled because of COVID-19. Organizers were able to keep the annual tradition alive with a smaller fall event. What is what is a mullet toss, John? You know, I haven't been there. I don't want to. I don't want to fully give a full report on this. So that's why we have a number eight zero three eight one six eleven seven. If you've been to the mullet toss at the Floribama, let us know what that's all about. Now I don't know if they'll be throwing catfish, but in Paris, Tennessee, this week you got. Oh, we got to make sure we get the verbiage correct. The sixty eighth world's biggest fish fry that's going on this weekend in paris and west tennessee not the largest and if you get there early enough on this the thursday they've got an arts and crafts show going on there then the fish tent is the big kind of draw there that's going on until nine in the uh, fairgrounds there in paris tennessee then over the weekend on saturday you've got a small fry parade taking place downtown paris on saturday at 10 a.m central time Arts and Crafts show. You got a junior fishing rodeo taking place at Williams Lake going on Saturday. Again, another fish tent where you can go get your fish from 11 to 9 p.m. And then don't forget that evening in Paris at the fairgrounds, you've got the Championship Bulls and Barrels Showdown. Yeehaw! All in Paris, Tennessee as part of the 68th World's Biggest Fish Fry. I think I'm heading there, by the way. I've got a young young fan of mine, if you will, who is addicted to catfish, and he and I are going to be hanging out this weekend. So he he and I probably need to head on over to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower. John, I have just found out as a result of the efforts of our crack research staff here on the All Show. Yeah. Who is that, that person, by the way, the, leading the, that research staff? The mullet toss is a contest where you take a mullet, not a haircut, but a fish. 
and you throw it across the Alabama-Florida state line, and whoever throws the mullet <laughs> the furthest wins the mullet toss. Oh, I'm glad you cleared that up. That's good stuff there from the Florida-Bama lounge. This weekend, or rather not this weekend, coming up soon, just in case you want to put this on your calendar, Greenville, South Carolina, the Artisphere is taking place May 7th through 9th. That's on the riverbank of downtown Greenville. You'll get music, culture, and a whole lot more taking place at that lovely spot in the upstate of South Carolina. And don't forget, all of you barbecue lovers, the World Championship Barbecue Cooking Contest is taking place in Memphis. That's going to be May 12th through 15th. Yes, it is taking place as part of the Bill Street Music Festival and that is a nationally recognized barbecue event in Memphis, Tennessee. That's coming up again mid-May. So a lot of stuff opening back up, a lot of stuff. And we're going to cover it all right here on the Y'all Show for you so you don't have to do a whole lot of the thinking. We'll tell you where to go and what to do as part of our Festive South. Art, it has been a, an honor to be with you today. And I look forward to wrapping up our first week of the reboot of y'all tomorrow. I'm going to take a 23-hour break, and I'll be back tomorrow at 10 o'clock with you, John. All right. You're on the clock, Art Cruz. Thank y'all for tuning in and being a part of the show that's all about the South. Have a wonderful rest of your Thursday. We'll see you back here for our Friday celebration. Friday celebration.